Hello, everyone. This is Jerry Lee, and I'm standing in for the Manifester, and I'm so happy to be here with you today. And we're going to be um, doing the second part of uh, Skies Bigger Than Blue. There was so much in that teaching, and a lot of people have been very interested about it. And as I said in that teaching, there's no way that we could finish a subject like that in one teaching. So here we are, part two. And we want to talk about the universe. And we want to talk about some other subjects that align and they have relational values to the subject of the universe and the creation acts and things along that line. <clears throat> There's some interesting scriptures in the Bible. I thought we'd start off with that. In Isaiah 53:11, it says, He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. I thought the part interesting about that scripture is that in the travail of his soul, he would be satisfied. I think that that is such an important statement, and it has value that is so vital to be applicable to other people. There are times that we have to travail if we are to ever get ahead. If we are ever to reach a point of knowledge exceeding the knowledge that we've had, and that may even be contemporary with the times, but yet we know that we need to reach out and we need to touch beyond that, then we have to get into that idea and that business of travailing. And this travail of the soul brought Christ into a place of being satisfied that he had achieved what he came for. Now, I have people sometimes tell me when they read the blogs or they hear a message like the sky is bigger than blue that has a certain amount of data in it that seems to be a little bit scientific or slightly mathematical, that all oh, that's so above them or so deep. But let me just remind you of something that I was reminding a couple other people recently, and that is that when you take the Bible, and the Bible, believe me, is the biggest bookseller in the world, and it's been around for eons of time, and it's a very popular book. And every church uses it in the Western world. You have in that Bible the book of Revelations. You have, you have Daniel, you have Zechariah, and you have several other areas, actually, that could be considered to be quite complicated. I mean, how many people read the book of Revelations and understand hardly an iota of what it really says? And yet they do read it because it's part of the Bible. And they read it because there is a certain essence that they get out of it, even though they don't understand the spread or the language or the symbolism or the meaning of those scriptures. And I'm asking you today to understand this manifest teaching like you understand the Bible. The parts of it that are over your head, the parts of it that seem too profound for you to understand, you just accept as part of the book. And you keep going over it ever so often, every occasion. And little by little, bits and pieces seem to come together. I want you to do the same thing. I want you to give the manifest teachings a chance. Because we're going very deep here, and we're not just contemporary. We are introducing even new sciences. And we are introducing new kinds of math. And we are introducing new kinds of insights insights that are not common out there in the world 
of uh, religious teachings. So this thing of uh, he shall see the travail of his soul, that's a promise to every one of you also, that in Christ you have that same opportunity, that if you put forth the energy that one day you would be able to see the travail of your work, and it would give you a great sense of satisfaction. Yes, it will require some determination. Yes, it will require patience. Yes, it will require to study the Word so that you can rightly divide to the best way that you can understand it. But it will hold for you great reward, and the merits of it will have benefits far exceeding anything that you imagined, and more profound than you ever guessed. Now, in Proverbs 1.5, it says, A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall obtain unto wise counsels. I find lots of goody stuff in that. First, a wise man. You would say, well, that lets me out right now. I'm not a wise man. You may be a wise man. You may be what is called a potential wise man. Or you may be a virtual wise man. Because if you have the ability with some training, with some insights, then you are already potentially wise. And everything that you are doing is in a virtual sense, but slowly and truly it continues to come together and you begin to, as the scripture says in one five of Proverbs, increase in learning. Note that it says wise man first and then follows it with the conjunction and and says, well, increase in learning. So, how does that happen? It says, well, a wise man will hear. And the Bible says that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So, when these things are given that are deep word, when these things are given that are embedded types of revelation, and there is a lot of transcendentalism in them, you need to give your ear to hearing. Because that is how this scripture says in Proverbs, you will increase your learning. Then it says, and a conjunction, a man of understanding shall obtain unto wise counsels. There is a reality in entering into a mental station and a spiritual station in which you become enjoined with other people who are seeking and striving to gain that same conscious level and gain that same spiritual level. And it's very important to be joined into other people that have that kind of faith so that you have a togetherness, not forsaking those meaningful times of, as a church, meaning not so much as a building, but as a group of people in a togetherness that allows you to serve each other as a council of help and ideas between subjects that you are trying to, with endeavor, learn. Proverbs one six says, To understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. That's the rest of Proverbs one five. When you are using your ear to increase your learning, when you have become a man of understanding, and you begin to join in wise counsels, the purpose of it is to understand Proverbs, 
to understand and have the interpretation, and to know the words, to know the language of dark sayings. And dark sayings aren't just dark because it's an accident, or they're evil, or they're purposely hidden. Many times, dark sayings are dark because of a person's seeing capability. And many times, the seeing capability is limited because there is a veil of darkness that people are trying to see through. Paul called it a glass darkly. And when you're trying to see the truth through a glass darkly, you are not seeing things in a clear, lighted sense. And so in order to be able to understand those dark sayings, something has to change in your visionary aspect. You have to start coming into a new way of seeing things. And the shackles that are in your eyesight have to be removed. Proverbs 25.2 says, It is a glory to God, or it is the glory of God, to conceal a thing. But the honor of kings is to search out a matter. The Bible says that the Christian people who are believers, who are determined, who have given their life to the cause of believing, that they are going to be kings and queens. And some people say, no, it doesn't say that. It says kings and priests. Well, the interpretation of that is that a priest is an ordinate. He is a spokesperson for the church. And the church is symbolized by the woman. And the woman is the queen. So you have the kings and the queens. And so it says here, to understand a proverb and the interpretations and the words of the wise and their dark sayings, and it is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. You're going to get into that kingdom mentality. That's what makes you a king, is when you come into the kingdom of God mentality, the kingdom of God's spirituality. And it is the honor of a king to search out a matter. People that dwell in flimsy excuses and just throw aside pearls, Toss out diamonds. Toss out sapphires of wisdom and knowledge. Just don't understand the extent of what they are doing. When you have these opportunities and these chances to gain the knowledge of these kind of insights, that is the time to travail with all your mind, heart, and spirit so that you can not miss out. And there are things that are concealed. And there are many reasons why this concealing is a real situation. But there is an honor that is available. And every person who will be a kingdom mentality person, a kingdom spirit person, is going to go forth and they're going to search out the matter. And the way this is put in the drama of its text gives you the strong conclusion and almost a piece of evidence that it is going to be a positive result. Ecclesiastes 8.1 says, Who is the wise man? And who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face to shine, and the boldness of his face shall be changed. Now there's more prophecy and more revelation in that little scripture there just said than the majority of people would ever even have a hint of. This has something to do with the aura. 
the very shining of spirituality so extensive that it comes out from your innermost being and begins to glow on your face because the things that you are bringing into interpretation and the things that you are beginning to have knowledge of are affecting you not only spiritually, but they are affecting you physically. And it causes your face to shine. And it says the boldness of his face shall be changed. There's something about a direction that can come to a person so that the profile of their personality and the way they look with their eyes and the way they direct their words of their mouth and the posture and the various styles of motion all have a signature that tells that that person knows what he is after or what she is after knows that there is something great that is being offered and that person has an unction for it and they are not going to take no until they achieve it. You know, when we look back at the Bible and its origin, at this point, as far as the world is concerned, regarding the Bible, all the original texts were lost. And even the original languages displaced. Only the Holy Spirit, under the circumstances of where things are right now, in the sense of what is available and what is not, only the Holy Spirit can unscramble and decipher the true meanings of most Bible Scripture. The Holy Spirit can often manifest the truth using Scripture from other parts of the Bible, so that definitions will come as a contextual part of the whole. Now, what I'm saying in that is there is a part that you take and you get an understanding of it, and one part leads to another part, and pretty soon you are able to put all of these different parts together, and that makes it a beautiful and glorious thing in the fulfillment of what it provides. A while back I talked to you about the various uh, rhythmatics, the various um, laws that are in nature, and some of which are also spiritual laws, we talked about a special kind of infinite geometry, which we are very unlikely to get into tonight. But there are some of the many laws of the 12 that I read you to you a while back, a few that would be worth just briefly skipping a little deeper into. One is the what we call the fifth law. It's the law of shapes of one. Now, all other numbers other than one, they have the capability of, of different forms and different shapes of figures. The shape of one always retains certain aspects, and although it is capable of unlimited figurations, there is something about it that when you look at it, no matter whatever change that that figuration is, you see in all of those connections the one. That is not the same with any of the other numbers. You do not always see them like in two or three or four or five or on and on with all the numbers. So it is quite the beautiful thing when you begin to come to these understandings of the laws of the shapes of one. And then there are the laws regarding the center free energy, which we're really dealing with perpetual emotion, perpetual energy there. 
And it would be like having everlasting stamina. It's a absolutely beautiful thing. So we need to have the time to get into these teachings to where we could expand it and we could show you what the real meaning of all of these particular um, laws are. And so there are these laws and they have special meanings. Let's take, for instance, um, the laws of formation and waves. They have two aspects, two sides to them, two sections to them. They're both spiritual and physical. And many times, but not always, the physical is contra to the spiritual, and the spiritual is contra to the um, physical. But there is a parallel sense that happens in which these formations and waves of the different types, the spiritual type and the physical type, are sort of hovering one over the other or about the other. And there are many beautiful scriptures that would highlight that, highlight those ideas once we have the time to teach them, and we hopefully will eventually. So the laws of formation and waves play a very, very important part. Because if you think about it, everything that happens in the apparatus of your body is somehow involved in the conduction of waves. And one of the important areas, of course, is the brain wave and all the different signals and, and that all have to do with various kinds of waves. And there are many different kinds of waves that all have different names. And these waves all have applications for specifically applying to a particular type of length and sometimes even color of wave. And we think that we know a lot when we know those things. But as you get into the spiritual waves, there are applications that there are no patterns on earth to describe or to give an example of those particular kinds of formations and shapes of waves. Those are the things that ultimately we'll come to learn. And as we come to learn them, it'll be like, you know, entering into this new spiritual spectroscope and seeing things that very few human eyes have seen before. And we want to prepare the people for the coming of this age of revelation and the coming of this age that is nothing but splendorous and magnificent. And it is all to prepare us for the age of ion that one day in the far of the far will come. Then there are the laws of phototranslation and phototransition. Now, the laws of phototransition are different in the timing sense than the laws of phototranslation. Phototransition does have a timing to it, but phototranslation is timeless. It happens instantly. At the time it is thought, at the time that it is said, it becomes what was thought, what was said. And that is the beauty of really developing those uh, various kinds of laws and that bring us into an understanding of being able to go across the universe or to go across any spance, to go across any dimension, to go across any kind of domain by being able to do so through the laws of phototranslation. And even using the laws of phototransition, they are a beautiful kind 
of experience that touches quite much into the twelfth law, which is uh, laws of progressions, which include such things as spiritual modulations. And these spiritual modulations are what help us to move by degrees closer and closer to the ascending aspects of God's uh, perfect law of energy and perfect law of love. So those are all important and beautiful things that God is bringing his people to know because they have a call to that. Now, in Exodus 26, 33-34, a part of the scripture there that talks about the veil under the tatches and that thou mayest bring in thither within the veil of the ark of the testimony. And the veil shall divide you between the holy place and the most holy place. Now, when we talked earlier about how that there is a darkness or a separation or a glass darkly or a veil that separates people, this is another example in which it was part of the plan of God that people should not be able to look upon the holy of the holies. They should not be able to enter into the cleanest, most perfect, deepest love with eyes that were full of uh, the germ of sin and that they needed to have a training and they needed to have, uh, you know, an experience which enabled them to be sanctified and anointed so that when they did see these things that were so superior and so innocent and so perfect that they would not be bringing damnation to themselves. For the Bible tells us that you can even partake of the Eucharist or the communion and if you take of it unworthily that you can bring damnation to yourself, you can bring sickness to your body and even death. And that is what the Bible teaches. And so we understood that even back in the days of Moses, symbolically, it was important to show that there was set up the intent of a separation so that people could not just readily from the common area directly look into the special holy area. And that is very symbolic and very much of a pattern revealing uh, how that God has, even in, in the first domain, separated the first domain from everything that is universal and physical and even within the first domain, there are separations and degrees of different levels of spirituality. And so that is the plan, and it will always be like that, because that is a working plan of God. Now, last week we talked about, in Exodus, a beautiful thing. We were, we were reading from the 26th chapter of Exodus, and we were talking about the um, tabernacle in the wilderness. And we showed how that this uh, pattern on the mount that was given to Moses and later given to David, that there was an emphasis to make the tabernacle, to make the buildings as was given in the pattern on the mount. It was absolutely vital. It was absolutely necessary that everything about, it was absolutely necessary that everything about the pattern was followed because those patterns replied to and were examples of symbolic things that told a story about heavenly things. 
And the pattern in the mount cannot be taken for granted, especially when you begin to have your eyes open to all the meanings that are availed there once you are able to see through the veil. And that is what is, you know, so so beautiful. Now, when we talked about the tabernacle, like in this uh, 26th chapter of uh, Exodus, there are different things that the tabernacle could be considered. And there are scriptures to back that up. I don't have the time tonight to give you all the scriptures. But a tabernacle can be considered a holy state of the mind, a place of worship within a person's inner sanctum, or even within their own home. It could include the array of the Feast of the Tabernacles. There are many scriptures that go along with that. And so it's so important that when we read about the tabernacle, we don't just exclude every possibility and put that into some simple Simon ideology that it is uh, limited to something and fail to understand the spiritual labyrinth of it and the spiritual complex of it. Because in a mind that is able to conquer matter, labyrinths are not any kind of a format that stops a spiritual mind from overcoming every twist and turn and every barrier. And it is so important to understand those things. One time in Psalms 132, 3 through 5, David wrote, Surely I will not come into the tabernacle of my house. Now we see there was a place in which he considered his home, his tabernacle. And there are other instances, as I said, where tabernacle could be a tabernacle of the mind. And it could be a state of things. Nor will I go up to my bed. I will not give sleep to mine eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find out a place for the Lord, a habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. And I guess that's what we are asking you people to do. We're asking you to have a carriage of feeling, a carriage of intent, a carriage of belief that you are not interested in um, living a life that is fulfilled only in the physical side, but is not fulfilled in the spiritual side. Because the spiritual side is absolutely necessary to be able to fulfill the physical side. All human beings are compound persons. That means they're not just flesh, but they're flesh and spirit. But the important thing to always understand when we get so caught up about the physical aspect, the physiological is that those things all characterize the temporary, and they are not eternal, because the Bible says that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. So what does inherit the kingdom of heaven? Well, that has to be about the spirit, the spirit that inhabits these things, and it's very, very important to understand all of that. Last week, we got into lots of things. We talked about the seven space coordinates that have to do with this Earth. We talked about the three regular dimensions. And then we talked about time as the fourth dimension. We showed the scripture how that was actually in the Bible. And um, I believe that was in the book of Ephesians. And then we told about the contra coordinates and that were opposite of each one of the three common physical coordinates and that it gave you a total of seven space coordinates and those things are important to know 
because not only do they uh, fulfill a number that has important code, but they give you understanding. They give you understanding of what the facts of things are and the realities of things are. So those those are so definite uh, for insight to know. And then we talked about in Psalms 22:30 about how that there is a divine accounting, and the way that God accounts things are absolutely different than how humankind accounts things on the planet. And how that there is a state, as described in Psalms 24, 7 through 10, where we have to lift up our heads. We have to bring our minds up to the high places in our thoughts. And then once we do that, the gates open to us and we are able to go through. We talked about how that um, there are comparatives to the 26th chapter of Exodus And before I read any of those, I'll need to maybe read that scripture again. Uh, We'll save that for a little bit. We talked about some of the scriptures, and I read them to you last week, about how that the Bible talks about the heavens were stretched out, and that if something is stretched out, that insists on there being a state prior to it being stretched out, that it was not stretched out which means that there is implied an absolute change of the volume and change of the length by the stretching. And so this is where we could see that there was a time in which all of the universe had been rolled together as a scroll, as the Bible describes it in the scriptures I gave you last week, and it enters into ultimate density. And when it gets into that ultimate density, It just keeps getting more dense and more dense. And then we'll talk about that in a little bit, about what eventually can happen to set that density free. But I don't want to to present this to you out of the subject line, because that's really what makes it more simple to understand by having it put together in that sense. So now what I'm going to do is is read this chapter in um, Exodus 26. Moreover, thou shalt make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twine linen, and blue, and purple, and scarlet. And, you know, we're talking about skies bigger than blue. And we see here that this tabernacle, from our teaching last week, and we're going to perpetuate that in the teaching today, absolutely beautifully represents, by the pattern on the mount, the universe. And how that... We have these colors represented in the fine twin linen of blue, but not just blue, purple and scarlet. And we also have them with cherubims of cunning work. And all of of that description has a beautiful side to it, talking about, you know, what's really going on in the heavens. And if you read in in Ezekiel chapter 1 and Ezekiel 10, you will get all kinds of information about the cherubim and the wheel in the middle of the wheel, and, and which, of course, the wheel uh, in the Hebrew comes from the word ophan. Uh, one of the terms for wheel is gilgal. But we're dealing with the word ophan, which is the singular for ophanim, which is another kind of angel. And I think by now you should know what kind of angel that is, because it certainly is talking about the fallen angels who became the mortals, that are living on this planet right now. But anyway, we've got these skies 
that they're not just they're not just blue. They're bigger than just being blue. They've got other colors, purple and scarlet. Now, all of these colors have different meanings in them or to them. And in the Holy Manifest book, which is a gigantic book that one day we will get out and get published, but it tells about how that these colors all have levels of application to different divisions of angels and different degrees of levels that these angels have. And there are the angels who speak in blue. There are the angels who speak in scarlet. There are the angels who speak in the language of purple. And those meanings transcend the language level that is used on earth with the earth people. But as we begin to know these things and apply these things, they sort out a lot of mysteries and they fill in the kind of things that a person needs for being bridges to the fulfillment of understanding the wisdom and the knowledge of secret things. So there's a glory like in this verse of Revelation. And the length of one curtain shall be eight and twenty cubits. Now it's interesting the talk of curtains. And I read you the scripture last week. It was a, you know, beautiful scripture. And it talked about, you know, the curtains. It talked about uh, how the heavens were stretched out as a curtain. And that was in uh, the book of Isaiah, uh, the 40th chapter. And I'll read it again. Verse 22. It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. I explained that before all these other adventurers who were trying to discover whether the world was flat, square, uh, or whatever, had any evidence that it was anything other than being what had been suspicioned before they discovered that the earth was a sphere that was a circle, it was already written in the Bible and revealed. He that setteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers. Now listen, that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. Now keep in mind that verse. Spreads them out as a tent to dwell in, and he stretches out the heavens as a curtain. Now we go back to what we're reading. We are reading in the 26th chapter of Exodus, and we're reading and it's mentioning the length of one curtain shall be eight and twenty cubits. And if I had the the time to take the eight and twenty cubits, we could make that twenty-eight cubits. And if you longitudinally, horizontally, take the the number twenty-eight and you add it horizontally, you get ten. And that becomes then equal to the ten curtains. You have ten curtains and then you, you have them of links so that, that one of them is 10 cubits. And if I had the time then to show you that in the kind of uh, quotum logic that is revealed in the new math, zeros like that are canceled. So then instead of 10, 10, you get 1, 1. And so then that gives you the two different parallels, the parallel of the physical, the physiological, and the parallel of the spiritual and these that are parallel together, and they're shown as curtains, and they're all tied into this thing of the cubit. And, of course, you had royal 
cubits and, and all kinds of things like that so that there was a division between what was physical, what was spiritual, even in the building of the pyramids. And it's extremely interesting and never ceases to be exciting. And then it goes to the third verse. Oh, I should finish there. And the length of one curtain shall be eight and twenty cubits, and the breadth of one curtain four cubits, and every one of the curtains shall have one measure. And, wow, I really don't have the time if I'm going to get through to all that I need to say to go into the deep detail of all those little things. But I think the fact that it culminates and it brings all these different numbers, numerical numbers, into one set, like becoming one measure, is absolutely important. In the book of Revelations, it talks about this angel came to John in the body of a man, but that he revealed to John the measurement of an angel. And the measurement of an angel is, of course, a different kind of accounting than the accounting that you get by the measurement of a human. And those things are all important to understand. And then it goes on the fourth verse and says, Thou shalt make loops of blue upon the edge of one curtain and upon the sleevage in the coupling. And likewise shalt thou make in the uttermost edge of another curtain in the coupling of the second now, when we talk about the uttermost edge, the tatches and all these various kind of things that it mentions, a lot of times, including, you know, artificial pomegranates and various kinds of designated types of fruits, are shown to be put in the fringes or the edge. And, of course, the Hebrew word for fringe in some of the applications is the word zith that we use. Now, we, we take the actual Hebrew that translate to S-I-S, you know, and S-I-S-T-H. So S-I-S-T-H, we, we change the S to a, a Z or a Z, Z-I-Z-I-T-H, along that line. But we can show with just a little bit of patience that you would have for us how that the word Zith that we use comes from the word fringe. And always there is the characterization of, you know, fruit. And there is a connection on the curtains with the, the embrazened, uh, the embellishment, the imprint of the cherubims. And it all has a story. This is not just a decoration. It's a story. It's a story about life. It's a story about the universe. It's a story about inhabitants of the universe, the powers of angels, powers of entities, that are playing major parts and major roles in the theater of this universe. So it's a beautiful thing when we read into these scriptures like this and we begin to have the unfold take place and we begin to see, you know, these, these beautiful revelations and how that the curtains are coupled one to another. It is a, a universal fabric. And when we begin to deal with the universal fabric, whether we're talking macroscopic or we're talking in uh, various kinds of microscopic terms, such as quantum, we are nevertheless dealing with the different kinds of interstitial and different kinds of scenes that all have to do 
with the fabric of the universe. And so when we're talking of these curtains, when we're talking uh, later of the loops, it's all about the fabric of the universe. And it's brought down into this little auditorium, this little theater where human people can create a division that is divided by a veil. And they are not able to look through into that Holy of Holy, where there also happens to be an Ark of the Covenant and a mercy seat and two cherubim angels with their wings spread, touching each side, so to speak, of the opposite sides of the curtain. And when we really see that story and the beauty of it, that is not revealed to the person with common eyesight to the current person with common religiosity. It is not revealed to people who are standing in the common people's court. But those that are able to get beyond that veil, are able to pierce that veil, which Jesus, when he was on the cross, caused an earthquake. And that's what it takes in people's lives sometimes, is an earthquake to shake them up mentally enough and spiritually enough to say, I want to see what's on the other side of that veil. That veil has been uh, covering before the faces of the people way back to the days of Moses, Paul said. And he said, you know, until that veil is removed, just the glass darkly, and until that veil is removed, perfection cannot come. You can't really see the whole truth and nothing but the truth. You're only seeing a part of that part which is a part, but you're not really seeing the whole truth, the deep truth, the real truth. You're just seeing the surface part. So people come into that tabernacle, that tent tabernacle, and they think that's it. This is it. And there's the Holy of Holies, and isn't that absolutely great? And over here's the people's court, and isn't that absolutely great? And it's a tent, and isn't that absolutely great? And they're missing the whole parable of what God was saying when he said to Moses and David, see to it that you build it after the pattern that was shown you in the mount. And the essentiality of that, the importance, the absolutely steep sides of that wonderful, uh, mysterious appearance of, of reality. Ladies and gentlemen, it is truly a moment where the sparks are flying upward. It is truly a moment where the simulations of the waves and the sparkles of God are coming forth and people of God are seeing them as signs and wonders and beginning to realize there is a word here that is something absolutely uh, sensational, and it's not like what we ever thought before. We thought this was just a tent. We thought this was just a place that we divided off, and one part's called holy, and that's for Moses and Aaron, and then we have this other part for the people's court, and we're not supposed to look in there. We're not supposed to understand what that is. We're not supposed to know those deep truths. We're not supposed to touch the wings of the cherubims or or hear the voice of God or feel the Shekinah glory. We're just supposed to stay on this other side and, you know, where they are killing the beast for sacrifice and, and they've got all the incense going because there's so many flies growing out there, the incense helps to, is so strong, it helps to repel some of those insects. But they think that, you know, this is still great. This is it. This is the revelation. And they don't understand that the Lord of flies thinks that's great, that they want to deal in that limited revelation. 
because he realizes as long as they deal in that revelation, it will never get them through the pearly gates. Those pearly gates are the pearly gates on the walls of Jerusalem. And believe me, there is a revelation for every single one of them. And it all has to do with uh, spiritual construction. It all has to do with spiritual insight. There are symbolisms that absolutely, once unfolded, are astounding. We understand this isn't just any regular kind of a city because John is taken up hither and he sees uh, the holy Jerusalem city descending as a bride from heaven. Whoever heard of a city uh, of that stature and that size that could descend from heaven? So those pearly gates uh, applicably have a different kind of meaning than what uh, is commonly being given to it. So it's important uh, once we understand the symbolisms, the metaphors, the parallels, the parables, that there are codes and there are insights, and God is trying to bring us into those truths so that we will really know what this Bible is about and how precious it really is. Okay, let's get back onto this part where we were talking about the uh, in the book of Exodus, chapter 26, and we talked about uh, thou shalt make five curtains and you'll couple them together. And then verse 4, and thou shalt make loops of blue upon the edge of one curtain from the uh, sleeve edge to the coupling. And likewise shalt thou make it to the uttermost edge of another curtain in the coupling of the second. Fifty loops shalt thou make in one curtain. Fifty loops shalt thou make in the edge of the other curtain. And this is the coupling of the second and that the loops may take hold of one another. And thou shalt make uh, fifty tatches of gold, and a couple of curtains together with the tatches, and it shall be one tabernacle. And we can see that these curtains are, are connected, and the fifty and the fifty becomes a hundred, or you could call it the hundredfold revelation, once you have not just a part of something in revelation, but you have the whole of the part coupled and connected together. Now, of course, the revelation of the loops... That is actually a scientific thing that's going on right now. Uh, you know, there are, are literally uh, what I call cosmic loops. And uh, there are radical velocities uh, uh, that are involved with some of these revelations that uh, seem to hold both the plural aspect and a finite aspect. But uh, they're all involved in their revelations, such as in finite time, uh, where there are image shifts uh, that have potential to even create dimensions once the uh, amplitude of that whole understanding is put into the proper uh, calculations and the proper understanding. So uh, there is a lot to know about the universe and the curvature squared figurations and the geometry and the properties of dark matter, as we said the last time, and the distant ratios of the radical. But so much for that, because I've got a lot here more to cover. And let's finish um, understanding with this revelation that we just read to you, that this is a big revelation about things that have to do in the heavens. And uh, they have to do with deep insights far beyond what anyone has imagined. Now, what I wanted to accomplish was uh, I wanted to get into... The Seven Thunders Speak, the Manifest Chronicles Before Genesis. And there are several things there that I want to get into. Before I finish with this tabernacle revelation with the loops, 
I want to introduce what might seem to be a distraction, but I think you'll see when I'm finished that it's not. If you uh, have a copy of that book handy, it's on page 187, and uh, we're under the area after Gabriel has spoken and Shro is speaking here. And it says, although to us physical creatures, time has a relevance, time in the first domain does not exist. Consequently, Alpha and Omega occur at the same time. That is such an incredible revelation. So few people have been able to comprehend that. The Bible talks about the vanishing point. It talks about a place uh, of time that is out of mind, beyond what the mind can comprehend it. You can find that term in the Hebrew Dictionary Concordance of Strong's number 5769. But in the book of Revelations, the Bible says that there's going to be a time or an event when time shall be no more. Now think about that a minute. If time is going to be no more, and if Alpha and Omega are beginning and ending of these time sequences, then what happens to the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending? Does that mean that that is the end of the Alpha and the Omega? Well, of course, no, it does not. It is not saying that. What it is saying is that there is a different kind of an accounting that has to do with understanding the full power of the Alpha Omega. And in this scripture that I just read to you from out of the Seven Thunders uh, Chronicle book, Revelations, it talks about the Alpha and Omega occur at the same event. So that seems impossible to the human mind. When you put that into the physical realm, that seems nonsensical. But when you start putting it into the accounting of those things that are spiritually discerned and understood, it is not nonsensical at all. Uh, because it can be totally understood, you know, that almost all things can be can occupy one space, if that is ever uh, the intent or the desire of God for it to happen. It also comes to the point of understanding that everything, because there is only timelessness, that everything then is not based on a series of time, a separation of time, uh, which can also have to do with dimension, but it's based on something so instant that there is no time separating the event from when the event began and from when the event ended. And there's a lot of teaching that would need to be done on that. But we also talked here about the vanishing point. The vanishing point, meaning a time out of mind, I think that's a really super explanation because in God there is no vanishing point. Uh, but to the humans there are vanishing points because there is a conclusion, there is an event, uh, there is a revelation that is beyond the beyond to them. It's That revelation is out of their mindfulness, out of their comprehension. And uh, so as being out of their comprehension, maybe even out of their stages of consciousness, it becomes at that point where it is out to be a vanishing point. But, you know, as we begin to develop the mind and as the universes were stretched, as our minds become stretched, we begin to overcome the vanishing points so that we are able to encapsulate those uh, heretofore situations and uh, events that were 
vanishing points to us beyond what we could see, comprehend, or put together as a factual expression. So, let's go on with this little revelation here I want to read from. Uh, Although to us physical creatures, and we're on page 187 of the Chronicles book, time in the first domain does not exist. Consequently, Alpha and Omega occur as the same event. Subsequently, calculating from the perspective that every Luma number has three positions. And now, let's just use uh, the comparative of the proton, the neutron, and the electron, and consider those as, in their development of expression, representing these three different positions. And they could be ascribed to represent width, depth, height, all that type of thing, too, just depending how that you plus, minus, or divide them, as we'll see later as we go into these uh, next sentences. Subsequently, calculating from the perspective that every lumen number has three positions, four functions can be derived by a minus plus being divided by a plus. So you take a plus, you put a minus before it, and then in between the next plus, you put a division sign, and that is the figurative of the description in words for functions that can be derived by a minus plus being divided by a plus. Where the indices minus and a plus are shown as variables, and where minus and plus equal two positions of equal volume but of opposite energy, and where division equals a third position as an equilibrium. Uh, however, when plus is directly preceded by division, it equals four functions, being y, h, w, h, as follows, y as representing place or position, h as representing was, w as representing is, and h as representing to be. Furthermore, the square of these functions generates one constant, one of timelessness, which is the y, and then the three variables would be the h, w, h. Now, of course, most of you would know that uh, this is the um, Hebrew letter name that is given for the Lord in the Bible, but it's the secret name that is not to be pronounced and is not known, and even to this day is highly questionable as to it being understood by the fewest of persons. That's, it's called the Tetragrammaton, and uh, it is uh, quite a big revelation, especially when you put it in some perspective, as we have just done here, showing that this name consists of, number one, the total function, the total division of a timelessness, a position of timelessness. And then it incorporates the other three letters as being represented in that which was, that which is, and that which is to be. And so then you have all of the three placements of times that would be in the universe, that which was, that which is, and that which is to be. And then you would have, standing outside of that, of which those three would be a variable, you would have the representation of the Y, which is also the uh, letter for Yahweh, or Yahweh-El, and um, you would have that representing timelessness. So since such variables uh, contain an unction contra, now uh, not one to throw you into total confusion, but an untra contra is a manifest term for timelessness as an attached parallel 
to each of the three positions of time, the was, the is, and the to be. So you have this um, unction, contra, which is attached to these veritables, which include all of the different time sequences that would be possible in the universe. But they are nevertheless attached to the potentiation of this ultra-contra, which is a state of timelessness. And then it goes on from there, page 188, and it talks about the product of complex uh, propagation by using fractal dynamics to make an elation. Now, the term elation is an important term. It could be considered a mathematical function produced as an incident derivative being the resultant of complex uh, fractional propagation, which resultant uh, could be either negative or positive or neutral, depending on the Luma number position of the contra motif. The function was used in Luma, the second universe. Uh, many of these terms are down at the bottom of each page, and uh, it explains these words so you're not just left lost and hanging there not knowing what in the world is talking about. Now, without pressing that through to all of this concourses of understanding and revelation, just keeping that in mind, let's now go back where we were reading from in this uh, revelation about the parable of the making of the universe, or where we're going to start reading from. And on page 505, in about the upper middle of the book, it says how the first universe of creation happened way back in the beyond of the beyonds. Now, while there is definitely going to be some different appropriations of component creative uh, steps that differ from the creative steps of this eighth universe in which we now live, there nevertheless will be a lot of parallels and a lot of similarities, which by knowing the one helps you to understand the other one. We talked about something interesting in um, the uh, Blue Skies number one, and we talked about how that when the, and we gave you the scriptures for it, when the heavens were rolled together in a scroll, we gave you scriptures like Isaiah 34, 4, and Revelation 6, 14. And uh, we were uh, showing you how that one day, when the universe ends, it'll roll together in a scroll, and that is the beginning of it going into this ultra density. And so um, we said that the event of this experience happening in which there is um, the density of the universe reaches an excess of over one million particles per square inch that it causes a great perpetration to happen. And that alone can cause separation of the density and uh, produce interstitial conditions and separation conditions and a spreading and a stretching of the density mass, which then begets the beginning of uh, the creativity. Now, that might sound like it's a contradiction to you people who have read the Manifest Chronicles, and I'll be reading that to you, in which it sounds like the mass that has gone into high density is separated when there are a particular kind of zone rays and a particular type of courier aureolas acting as waves that end up striking this density and causing it to sort of 
I wouldn't want to say explode, but go into perturbations. I want you to understand that so you won't think it's a contradiction. Both of these cases are real and actual and probable, but they don't ever happen at the same time in the same universe. There are teachings in the uh, manifest that teach that if the densities were just left alone and if there were no angels going out to create, there is imbued by the soundtron into all creation and through the processes of latolution and trit and uh, logistical rhythmatics, there are imbued processes that creations would begin to come forth on their own because it's already been imprinted in there by the soundtron, which is the well of God. But there is the other case in which it becomes the event horizon, uh, the moment, not really being a moment, but being an event, uh, it becomes the unction to go on out into the universe and for the universe, uh, a new universe to happen. And this might be before that universal density has reached a million particles per square inch. So when the example occurs in which they are wanting to begin the new universe, but the new universe has not yet reached that maximum condition of over a million particles per square inch of density, and therefore the perturbation has not occurred, uh, they can create a situation so that it occurs ahead of time by sending out these um, aureola waves and causing a process, which I will read to you a little bit, to happen, and that precedes the natural occurrence that would happen otherwise. So there is not a conflict. It's just two ways that a new universe could start up for creation. Okay, so here we go in the low middle of the page, 505. And so it was, after successions upon successions of timeless infinitude, shinings of amtricity called career aureola waves were sent beyond the curve cycles to conceive zone rays. It's very important. A lot of people get these things mixed up and they'll say, oh yeah, well there was uh, amtricity that came directly from the first domain. But you must not get it confused by leaving out a word or an emphasis, because what it really says is after successions upon successions of timeless infinitude, shinings of amtricity called courier aureola waves. And so uh, we, we don't want to get confused as to what those aureola waves are. They are shinings. And that is different than it being another source uh, of something that is more materialistic. It's just like, for instance, sunlight. There is energy in sunlight and even humans need to be exposed to so much sunlight to get the proper amount of vitamin D. And so we can see that there are messages even in sunlight, which is like the shinings. So that these shining experiences that come forth from the holy nature of God's pure energy, they go beyond the Zith or beyond the fringe of the first domain and they go out into the space of the universe where the density is. Now, what is this density? Well, it is the total collapse of the universe that pre-existed, the one that's just about to be created. And it's not destroyed. It's not like it's no more. It's just now in a condensed state and it's in a seed form. 
And it contains within it all kinds of information, all kinds of potential. Okay. And so it was, after successions upon successions of timeless infinitude, shinings of electricity called courier aureola waves were sent beyond the curved cycles to conceive zone rays. It was by those energized zone rays that there were conceived syntones of fiery essence. Sequentially, wave sequences of courier aureolas acting as mind transmitters began filling the zams, or as it may be said, the vastness of the void, with I.M.'s radiance. And now we turn over to page 506, and it says, Outside the first domain, in the vast voids of what was physical infinity, courier aureolas of pure and original energy. Now remember, when it's talking about this pure and original energy, in the sense of them being courier aureolas, it's talking about them then being the shinings of. So it's not the actual pure energy itself, but it's the shinings. Like, for instance, you're not getting big pieces and chunks of the fiery, vital parts of the sun coming down here on the planet, because if it did, it'd be destructive. And same thing with the pure love of God and the pure energy love of God. God can love us as we are being loved in the physiological sense with his energy. But if he were to try to love us with his 100% pure love energy, it is a creative, powerful energy uh, that would have a very good possibility of being so contrary to us, it could destroy us or harm us. So all of that is taken into consideration. The sun is very good for us at a distance. You get it too close and it's the end of us. So that's the same way is a symbol of how it looks with God. And um, that's very important to understand. Okay, so let's skip down to sort of the middle of that first paragraph. Therefore, the outer void beyond the curved cycles of the first domain was permeated by the soundtron shinings of the courier aureolas. Now, we see that these courier aureolas, which is another kind of cute way of saying auras, and that these auras have messages in them from God. And that's what soundtron is. And uh, they're sent out from the first domain as shinings, and they are the proper tool for the beginning of new beginnings and the continuums to be stretched out into the vast and the four and into the beyond to be. This beginning is part of the story that relates to those participators of an ancient anteriority. It regards an eon beyond those um, continua after which events the first universe was created. It was concerning such a beginning that the I am sent forth the wave of wisdom, or the word of wisdom, to be M's omnipresence in all things, and in such divine entities as the accelerants, those messengers generating higher degrees of excellence, who were to represent the individual ultimate God. This story also regards the seven universes created before the eighth universe in which planet Earth abides. For unto the point of the conclusion of the seven universes, the universe where planet Earth abides has not been sparked into existence. So the time that this story that we are reading is talking about, which was the first universe, and after the first universe there was a second, then there was a third, then there was a fourth, then there was a fifth, then there was a sixth, and there was a seventh. And the universe that we are in today is the eighth universe. And of course, 
We've got all kinds of scriptures to show that from the Bible, but I doubt that I'll get to that today. But uh, at some time, I will be able to do that. We'll see. See how it goes in the book here. And so, uh, during the epics of those universal histories, they who knew and could reveal superluminous truths to the masses were often obstructed from doing so by circumstances or the low mentalities of the times. For then, and even in recent earth history, dull diminuendos of thought infused by ignorance, errors, misconduct have often rendered the masses incapable of perceiving such knowledge. We know that in the time of Jesus, Jesus appeared to people and he was ready to speak the deep words that had been in darkness. But the Bible says that he spoke into the darkness and the darkness could not comprehend him. And so that had to be left for those uh, that were to follow Jesus' footsteps and bring that word later. Nevertheless, this fiery truth cannot be left shut up in one's own bones. The sky cannot stay gray. The sun cannot hold its rays. The law of silence will be broken. For the lovebirds are in love, and they must sing. The flowers are in passion, and they must bloom. Consequently, knowledge that was known to the bright ones of the past, as well as such histories of the past, remain in secret resonances of the soundtron and energy dots, waiting to be revealed by special revelation or by special dispensation. Although those gleaming truths have been revealed to elect persons, and traces of such truths still remain in ancient history as parables, paradigms, and mysteries, the manifested revelation to the general masses has been extensively lost. It's just like the language of Akah that has been lost. And it's just like the tree of life in the Garden of Eden that has been lost. And even as regards many of the books of the Bible that were, I believe, intended to be in the Bible, of which it speaks of, it's over 20 books that are mentioned in the Bible that are lost, that are not available to people because they have been lost. And uh, they, in fact, the Scripture even tells you to read those books, but you can't read them because they've been lost. That's why the revelation of the Holy Spirit is so important, because if you have just a fraction of a word that pertains to any of those other uh, books that are lost, it's like being able to take uh, some small little thing, almost as small as a mustard seed, and be able to take from that all of the DNA information for making and creating a new whole production of it. And that is what the manifest revelation is about, being able to just take a few little grains of the truth that was left in a word here and there, and then using the and uh, to expand the rest of the meanings that belong to that word, and that could be found in the various names that are still uh, fragments uh, left in the Bible, leading people into what the whole story was and what the whole truth was. It's nothing less than sensational to be able to do that. Okay, now... Page 507, the seven radiant events. After the inner alpha ages, but before the outer alpha dawnings had begun, before the universe was spronged, eternities upon eternities, before the genesis of planet Earth, the I am in generating love, thoughts for creation, sent the shinings of M's mind as waves, the intricity that was imaged within the um, Aureolas that were delivered by courier waves. 
aureola waves. So all these things are interesting to hear. And then we go on down where it says, um, generating love thoughts for creation, sent the shining of M's mind as waves to brighten the shrouding of outer darkness beyond the curved cycles of the first domain. At this point, no substance of matter other than the inner alpha era debris existed. Now, this inner alpha era debris that we're talking about is this density of the prior universe. And that's what it's talking about when it talks about this uh, alpha era debris that exists. That same inner alpha debris, having become rolled as a scroll, was congealed and gravitated into locked compressions of super heavy density. So we begin to see how that this story is substantially the same, that uh, what happened in the first universe in its end, in the Omega end, is very similar to what happened into all the universes because it's all a plan of God for the Alpha to become the Omega and the Omega to end in this density until it is ready to be opened and become an Alpha age again. And uh, now let's go to uh, page uh, 508. Let's skip on down to the second radiant event. Consequently, as the zone rays expanded through the voids, they touched the former inner alpha density. Inasmuch that the alpha density was matter, but the zone rays were contrary to matter, there resulted a translation of the alpha density into prolapse rays. Thus was initiated the beginning process that generated universal orders. Prolapse rays, what are those? Well, they emerge when zone rays touch the former inner alpha densities, and the inner alpha densities become broken down into what is called prolapse rays. Now, there is something extremely interesting about this whole potential teaching, because what happens when the next process occurs in an event in which the mixing of the zone rays with the density of the former universe occurs and produces these prolapse rays, there is produced syntone rays. Now, the syntone rays, then, have in it the good aspects of the courier aureola messages, but it also has in it the negative aspect uh, that brought about the collapse of the universe. So in the resultant that comes out of that, which is called syntone, you have both, you might say, good and evil. You have, if we didn't want to call it good and evil, we could say positive potential and negative potential comes right from the beginning of the making of the universe. And uh, it wouldn't be very difficult to show that in any kind of creation, that sometimes it takes the most violent reactions in nature to create the most beautiful things that need to be created. And we could call one positive action and the other negative action. But it's just like in electricity. It takes the positive and the negative. And without that, you don't have electricity. So there are certain things along that line that we wouldn't have to call them evil. But, but they, in a sense, 
could be said to fall in the potential of association to that camp. And uh, now, when that happens, that produces a situation that is spread throughout all of the universe, so that everything that exists in the universe, including people, have in them that part of the syntones, which, remember, the syntones is comprised of two things. It's comprised on the one side, through the zone rays, of those aureolas, or we could call them uh, auras, the auras of the shinings of God. And then on the other side, that consists of these um, density waves that occur uh, when this perturbation happens and the two sources come together and they're contrary to each other. It's not exactly matter and antimatter, but it does create, uh, and as the book describes it, uh, it creates a um, transformation that takes place. This uh, transformation occurs, and that is a very important way of saying it, because uh, the uh, transformation, which is literally a translation, causes uh, there to be a change from it being totally a density and totally uh, aureola to being something that meshes and becomes in between, so that there is a coming together of the positive and of the negative. Now, in our bodies, we have those same energies. We have a spirit, which we could call positive, and we have a body, which we could call negative. Just as, like in the atoms, there is a source that is like the neutron that keeps the positive and negative from coming together and destroying one another. So we have in our bodies this neuter force that separates our spirit from our flesh, although they seem to dwell together, but it uh, separates it enough to allow the two to remain as a compound being. But they still have the two different parts to them. So in the past, we have dealt with this syntone revelation in which that syntone revelation can be revealed as to each person what degree of syntone they have on the negative side or what degree of syntone they have on the positive side in their beings. And this is something that can be revealed by the Scripture to show how that by the Spirit uh, we are able to discern these things which become very, very helpful for us in any kind of thing that we get into, whether it's business, whether it's um, relationships, whether it's uh, events, there is a sin tone to every one of those. And once we understand what that sin tone is, is there more of a leaning in this sin tone to the positive, or is it a greater leaning to the negative? If it's a greater leaning to the negative, uh, you have to decide, well, is this something we want to salvage? Is this something we want to save? Or is this something you want to back away from? So having the knowledge of those kind of things that was imbued into the universal world at the very making of it is an absolutely vital importance. And it actually um, scintillates beyond just being an essence. It's more than an essence. It's a reality. And so as we think about all these things and we think about these uh, skies bigger than blue, all of this knowledge, all of these things that are able to be understood once we get free 
from being uh, separated by the veil. And once we are able to not have our eyes withholden any longer, but we can see things as they really are, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And that's what's happening with this radio broadcast right now. Faith is coming to you by hearing as you are listening to this word. And as we are beginning to minister this word, this manifest revelation in the blogs, uh, in the broadcasts, in songs, in testimonials, it is all there for bringing you into a conclusion as how to move into a side of the syntone syndrome uh, that puts you in a, a greater positive relationship to God and uh, causes you to bear less in your body of the negative syntone. You can't, as long as you must wear the physical body, just eliminate it altogether. There are purposes that it has to be allowed to stay together until the time that it is meant for the resurrection body to take over. But it is all profound, and it's all part of the skies that are bigger than blue. We can call, like, when we look at our sky, it's beautiful. It's the Earth's sky. And we could think of it, how minimal it is, what a little dot, smaller than a dot it is compared to the universe. And then we could think about that tent back in the days of Moses and how almost nothing it was compared to the universe. And we can compare this on and on and on to many different examples of comparative things. Because once we begin to understand that, then we begin to say, well, then we need to equate things. And the Bible says that faith is the substance of things not seen, the evidence of things that are. So faith is the substance. And although it's sort of an intangent, invisible thing, it nevertheless has an existence. And as we begin to understand this thing of the syntone, that there is negative syntone, there is positive syntone, and how that we can gather that into our lives so that we have a greater and greater aspect of the positive syntone and less aspect of the negative. And as we begin to understand all those things and how they apply to the very blood of Jesus, how that there was great detail of time that was taken to make the point of the scarlet thread or the scarlet line of blood that went down through the ages of time and the generations of time. Uh, because by that, there was a prophesied and an anointed uh, foretelling of how that uh, something was to follow a certain line predicted uh, by the Holy Spirit. And that by finding that line and adhering to it carefully, you are going to be able to follow in the, the tracks of the sentones that are positively accrued for that exact event and that ex exact uh, happening. And so all these things apply. And that's why sometimes people need a lattice change. They need their lattice change from a negative to a positive. And that's why the Bible says that the kingdom of God is like casting out a net into the sea. Well, a net is something that looks very much like a lattice. And the sea, of course, is the symbol of humans, of people. So that is another way of saying, you know, that's what the kingdom of God is about, is about this lattice being cast out into the sea of the multitudes. The Revelations, the 17th chapter, 15th verse, says the waters represent their symbolic of people, nations, tongues, kindreds, and people. So we see by the casting out of this net, which is a symbol of the kingdom of God, that... 
It all becomes a fulfillment of this revelation of the skies bigger than blue, the purple words uh, that the language of the angels that speak the purple, the scarlet words of the angels that speak scarlet, the blue words of the angels that speak blue, the languages that God wants to bring us in and wants it to be comprehensible to us is astounding, but not beyond what is capable of achieving. And so when you look at the book of Revelations and you say, oh, that's the sky is bigger than the blue of my knowledge, just bigger than the blue of what I understand on the earth. Don't go there. Don't fall off on that curve. Uh, just keep standing there believing that God is going to open up that word. And one day he's going to speak to you like he spoke to John. And he's going to say, come up hither. And when you come up to that higher place of the mind, you suddenly are going to be able to look out from that height with a different kind of vision and a different kind of eyes. And you suddenly are going to be able to see the holy Jerusalem not coming up from the earth, but coming down from heaven, not having been made on earth, but having been made as a city made without hands. And uh, it is so absolutely beautiful of offering that uh, to accept anything less is like to accept defeat. So the skies bigger than blue are ready for you to come into and ready for you, as it speaks in the 14th chapter of the Gospel of John, to come into the knowledge of the Father's house. And Jesus says, the way you know, where it is and the way you know. And Peter said, what are you talking about, Jesus? We don't know where it is and the way to get there. And Jesus says, yes, you do. And so I will say that same thing to you as I close this message tonight. You might say, I just don't understand all this business about the Sintron and the various kinds of things that you mentioned, like the Courier Aureolus. I don't understand that. But then God is saying, but you will. One day I'm going to call you, and I'm going to say, come up hither, and then you'll see the whole truth. You'll see the whole truth, nothing but the truth. May God bless you. May God cause his face to shine upon you and give you strength and courage and faith and confidence. Amen. Okay, now we want to take the time to do some Gentile, and we have some requests. We have um, a particular person that uh, for five years has had uh, excessive menstrual bleeds and has a certain uh, suppositions that are uh, attached to it by pronounced uh, things in the body that need to be dealt with. I can tell you that from this um, experience of using uh, this Gentile, we've had all kinds of incredible things happen. We've had lumps disappear. We've had uh, things that were called, um, not gorders, but like tumors. We've had tumors just disappear. Like the day before operation, we'd do the Gentile the day before, and then the next day that they would go in and, and the doctors say, it's gone. <laughs> What's happened? And then we've had a lot of cases where people have had excessive bleeding, and they just could not find a way. Even the doctors didn't seem to have the right thing. Sometimes they'd give them a little treatment with the hormones, but it just didn't assimilate properly into their body. We have done a Gentile on a lot of ladies, and we I can't think of any a single solitary case in which we have done Gentile for this subject 
in which the people have not received a healing. And that within a very short period of time, they start getting into regular periods. And if there's any kind of uh, problem in an area of the body that is causing the bleeding, God deals with that also. So we're going to have you imagine that right now there are two hands and the fingers of the hands are coming down on the top of your head in the middle of your head, just over your corpus callosum. And the corpus callosum is the network that is attached to your hemispheres. As I begin to speak, energy is going to be coming down through all the vein work of the corpus callosum into all your hemispheres. And uh, we're going to begin now. Hypothalamus to the pituitary, pituitary to the hypothalamus, the thyroid, to the lymphatic gland, to the neural network across the synapses, through the uh, boutons, through the pons, throughout the entire uh, area of the brain, begin to send these messages in uh, to the body and uh, begin to deal with the area of the body that is the female sector that has to do with the menstrual periods. This message is to the hormones and the lymphatic gland, and uh, this message deals uh, with both the uh, signals that are the up signals that come up the spinal column and down into the parasympathetic system. And we begin to cause these messages to concentrate and to become particleized and uh, to become rhythmic and begin to descend into the female organs and begin to loosen as the fingers are being held over the head and as that energy is going into the body, some of you can feel the pulses that are there at the top of the head and the Fingers almost feel like they're sinking into the scalp, and there's energy going into the head and into the brain and into all of the different hemispheres and the various lobes of the brain. And the messages are beginning to deal with secretions and loosening secretions. Some of these uh, secretions have become hardened in these glands because they have not been operating. We're sending energy and more energy and energy and more energy into these various glands to begin to loosen that secretion. And we're increasing the energy and increasing the uh, message uh, through the hormones to begin to loosen that energy to move the secretions. And now slowly the secretions are beginning to come out of those glands and they're very, very thick. We continue to have the secretions move out of the glands more and more and more. More secretions are moving. More secretions are moving. It's beginning to now get thinner, and it's getting thinner, and it's beginning to flow now. And these secretions are beginning to move down, uh, some of them from the brain area, down through uh, the neck and uh, through the chest and down through the chest, into the body, uh, into the female area. And uh, there's heat that uh, often can be felt as this is coming down into that part of the body, quite an effect. 
uh, is taking place there as these secretions are beginning to move down. They're, they're flowing. And the, the fingers are still on top of the head over the corpus callosum, and more energy is being put in. And the various uh, glands are opening up, opening up, continuously opening up more, and, and those are causing signals to go out. And signals are bouncing off of signals from a one message center to another message center. Uh, this is beginning to correct some of the coloring for the messages and the shapes so that the receptors can begin to take full advantage of these signals from the secretions that are beginning to be put into uh, the, that part of the body. And as that is increasing, there is the heat of it, and there is the fullness of this happening, and it is beginning to have an effect to signal the dissolve of any of these um, growths that should not be in there, and so that a beginning of the dissolving of those growths will begin to take place and uh, completely be fulfilled and completed over the next few weeks. And the power of this putting into perspective the proper timing and occurrence of the menstrual period is beginning to be programmed into effect into the body, overcoming the inhibitors, overcoming the blockers and eradicating them eradicating them, more and more energy going down and repeating the, this message, repeating it again and again and again, so that it is now moving from the temporary memory system to the more permanent memory system. And it's becoming uh, cellular and moving from cells to cells and beginning to become very potent of message. Their inhibitors or blockers that are missed, uh, they are now to be eradicated. Okay. So there's tremendous power that went out with that. And uh, probably be a lot of you people. And if you know someone that has problems like this, get them in to listen to this tape so that they can receive the full benefit of this Gentile healing, which means generative touch. And it's a revelation given to me by God. And it's for using the pharmaceutical capabilities of the body to heal the body that God said was wonderfully made. May God bless you and keep you and go with God. Amen. Amen.